0: Opening in your copy of the scriptures to Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter 2 this evening. Our text will be the first four verses in Philippians chapter 2. The Christian life, uh, spiritual living, really begins in the mind. As the Apostle Paul reminds us, it is through the renewal of the mind that we are being transformed more and more into Christ-likeness. Our passage is concerned with the cultivation of the Christian mind but not just at the individual level, personally, but congregationally together as God's people. A mind that replaces patterns and habits of sin in our lives, which tend to be all self-absorbed and self-exalting and self-focused in orientation, and putting into practice thought patterns and mental habits uh, of a renewed mind in its place, which expresses itself in the body life of the church. Our passage reminds us that Christian living is truly a matter of the whole body that we belong to. So let's hear God's word tonight. We'll read uh, Philippians chapter 2, our text is verses 1 through 4, but I will read down through the first half of verse 5 this evening. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's why this reading in God's Word, let's once again look to our God and seek His help and blessing. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come as uh, eager servants looking to the hand of the Masters, asking you to drop down upon us from heaven the refreshing dews and the morsels of the heavenly manna by which we grow and by which we are sustained and nourished. We pray that Christ would be formed within us. I pray that you would continually renew our mind and transform us into the image of glory, uh, even the likeness of your Son. Do this, we pray, in our midst, because we belong to you and accomplish your purposes. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you jump right into this passage, you will not see the connection. But in the course of our series, we have been seeing the development of Paul's thinking. Paul, in our passage, is still unpacking the exhortation he gave back in chapter 1, verse 27, where he urged the believers to conduct themselves in a word manner worthy of the gospel. And as we noted last week, the Greek verb literally says the duty for Christians is to live in this world as citizens, to live in this world as citizens of the kingdom of god whose citizenship truly belongs to the empire of jesus christ to live as it were within the colonies of heaven broken out in this world that is the church of jesus christ and paul highlights in the context of that exhortation one key element that's the key to effective kingdom living and in our passage that key is expressed in terms of in terms of spiritual unity even back in verse 27 of chapter 1, Paul said, as citizens of heaven, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side or standing shoulder to shoulder for the faith of the gospel. And he is continuing to unpack that same exhortation given back in verse 27. Hardly anything commends the gospel to this world that is fractured and broken and bankrupt and divided And dehumanized on account of sin hardly anything commends the gospel more to this sinful world than the closeness and the authenticity and the spiritual mindedness of our fellowship as God's people with one another people of God believers living in unity and community showing to this world what this world can never produce and Paul carries that burden into our passage uh, today, which in the Greek is really one single long sentence, verses one through four uh, are a tightly packed single sentence in the Greek, and I want to open up that text for us and try to catch something of the logic of this golden sentence by way of three uh, divisions or three uh, developments through the course of our text. First, I want you to see the presupposition that Paul gives in verse 1 that really assumes things that are already true. Uh, Paul mentions in verse 1 the privileges that are already ours, which then give rise to our spiritual unity. And then, secondly, there's the exhortation issued in verse 2, this call to the duty of spiritual one-mindedness, where Paul says, be of one mind and be of the same mind. And finally, in verses 3 and 4, I want you to see the demonstration of the like-mindedness spiritually. How do we put into practice what Paul tells us in our passage, what the spiritual unity looks like, what like-mindedness looks like in the uh, body life of the church. So I want to um, tackle this passage by way of those three uh, developments, presupposition, followed by the exhortation, uh, finished uh, finishing with a demonstration. Well, first then, look at what Paul uh, presupposes to be already true of every believer. Uh, verse 1 has a series of four ifs. If, uh, introducing not so much, uh, something that is conditional, as though Paul is envisioning things that are hypothetical, but grammatically he's actually assuming the grounds for that which he will then go on to say. Is really saying with this construction, since these things are true, and what is Paul actually saying about believers? Uh, If you look carefully in verse 1, you'll see that the last if, the fourth if, stands out alone from the first three ifs. And if you look at them carefully, the first three ifs are tied to some benefits that flow out of the three persons of the Trinity that believers already possess. Paul is assuming... He's presupposing that since there is encouragement or consolation uh, that we have in union with Jesus Christ, and since there is the comfort that comes to us from being loved by God the Father, and since there is this fellowship or participation, partnership or communion that we have with the Holy Spirit, since these things are true, Then he goes on to say, he gives uh, the exhortation given in verse 2. And if you think carefully about these statements, they really closely echo the Trinitarian benediction that we hear at the end of the service. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship, communion of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul is drawing attention to what great and immense privileges that every Christian believer possesses and the greatest privilege and blessing you have tonight as the, as one who, through faith in Christ, uh, have come to know God, the greatest privilege and blessing that you currently possess and given to you is that you have come to have communion, fellowship with each person of the Godhead. If you were to ask John Owen, that would have been his answer. The greatest, I- immense privileges of Christian believers is that we have come to have a distinct communion with each person of the Godhead. You live in unity and community, in union and communion with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit, that you are brought into an everlasting mutual exchange of loving delight with each person of the Trinity. And Jesus as He pours out upon you His lavish grace, upon grace, as the Father enfolds you in His great love and gives you blessings innumerable and immeasurable for your comfort and strength, and as you come to know more of the strength and joy of the Spirit who dwells in you, as Paul says, your life is hidden with Christ in God, you truly come to enjoy God, you truly come to know God distinctly, personally, each person of the Trinity uh, you are acquainted with The living god and what astonishing privileges you have in the gospel and since these things are true of you since these things you already possess then paul will go on to issue a gospel exhortation but this is uh, preceded by the fourth if Uh, you look at the end of verse one and in these benefits that you come to possess from the trinity and if paul goes on to say you have any affection and sympathy If, in other words, you receive divine affection and sympathy, if you are daily beneficiaries of divine compassion and bowels of mercies, if you are uh, discovering that God is so tender-hearted towards you and compassionate and sympathetic and full of affection towards you. In other words, if you come to enjoy God in your salvation. And that's the Christian spiritual presupposition that he begins this section with. Just realize how unfathomably privileged you are. You have encouragement, believers. Uh, you have comfort. You have fellowship. Uh, you are united to Jesus Christ. You are loved by the Father. You are indwelled. You are fellowship by the Holy Spirit. And since God has so set his affection and sympathy upon you in your earthly living, in light of such privileges, then, Paul goes on to say, verse 2, complete my joy, with your spiritual like-mindedness. That's the exhortation Then Paul goes on to issue in verse 2. And as um, is the case in every gospel teaching, the command and duty in the gospel is always built upon gospel presuppositions or indicatives. And here the call towards spiritual unity and one-mindedness is again grounded in the truth of who God is. And Paul here uh, issues that command to um, spiritual unity by referring that issue uh, to the uh, question of his Christian joy. Complete my joy. Make, as it were, my cup of joy overflowing and uh, running over. And complete my joy. Make my joy full. And if you um, have the Bible so... Uh, livingly dwelling in your hearts, that should ring a bell to you because Jesus himself says something similar in John chapter 15. Remember how he says to the disciples, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask me whatever you wish and it will be done for you in terms of your fruitfulness and as my father loved you, so I have loved you and you can abide in my love and if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love and these things I have spoken to you, Jesus says, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. And Paul is echoing the statements of Jesus. As God's word livingly dwells in you, as you come to dwell in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, as you go on bearing the spiritual fruit, one of the signs that will emerge is in the cultivation of this Christian mindset. And when I see it, then you will go on to fill my joy full. And Paul's actually giving a command. And the command is not so much make his joy full, but actually to be of the same mind and to be of one mind. Be like-minded, be of one mind, he says. And this spiritual like-mindedness is not something of a mere intellectual mental quality. Because in the middle of verse 2, Paul says uh, what that means. Look at the middle section of verse 2 where Paul says, Having the same love and being of one accord. If you have the same mind, it'll express itself in you possessing the same love and being of one accord. And the Greek word literally for one accord means one-souled, having one soul in fellowship together. Just like in the Old Testament, Jonathan and David loved each other such that they were described as linked as one soul. It's that kind of oneness in heart, soul, Will, purpose, passion, desire, and love within the body of Christ that will be the sign of having one mind. And put everything together thus far, what Paul is saying that since you believers have been swept up into the participation, uh, in, uh, into a participation in the unity and community uh, with the three persons of the blessed Trinity through faith in Jesus Christ, since knowing that this great God leads you. To live together in one-mindedness in one-souled fellowship since you are the church and household of the living god the bride and body of christ and the temple of the spirit since these things are true you exhibit one mind more and more in the expression of love and same heart and same soul and this is something that the world cannot ever produce because what will produce this oneness uh, is the gospel the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God is truth that will bring unity. It's the gospel that will create spiritual mindedness. That spirit wrought unity within the family of God is always grounded in the solid truth of what God has done in Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul envisions being developed more and more in the church. And This is something Jesus himself prayed in john chapter 17 right before his death Uh, john chapter 17 high priestly prayer jesus says father the glory you have given me i have given to them i revealed your glory to them so that they may be one even as we are one i in them you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me This kind of oneness, therefore, is something that uh, from all of eternity existed within the Godhead that is greatly and more and more worked in the lives of God's people to the degree that God's people come to know who God is. And Paul says, when I see that, my joy will be filled. When I see God's people expressing one-mindedness practically in their love for one another, In their concern for one another, in their having the same passion and zeal for God's glory, in their having the same soul desire for the things of God, then my joy will be fulfilled. I can sing Psalm 133. How pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, when the church with a whole membership having their hearts burning with the very same desire for Christ's glory, when all of their eyes are firmly fixed upon Christ and Christ alone, and when they have the same love, love for God and love for one another, when they live in blessed, glorious, God-centered unity in community with one another, uh, this is like the refreshing dews falling down from heaven. This is like the anointing oil falling upon us as though coming from another world. And Paul says, Be of one mind be of the same mind just as the father and the son are one as you come to know him because you've been blessed in this trying god you will come to exhibit the same mindedness that the gospel puts in you so that's the command be of the one mind and then thirdly how then do we demonstrate this kind of unity the unity of mind in our midst in our day-to-day living how do we put into practice how do we work it out in our fellowship this spiritual mightiness in verses three and four paul zeros in one key element if you want to live in spiritual unity the key paul says is humility verse three do nothing from selfish ambition conceit vain glory don't look to yourself don't be like those preachers mentioned back in chapter one who engage in kingdom service out of envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, preaching Christ for self-serving purposes. This is how the world operates. Don't be like them. The worldly mindset that Satan exhibits and this world is full of is pride. But in humility, Paul says, count others more significant than yourselves. The key to like-mindedness is to empty your mind of yourself. You need to replace the me categories that are so natural within us, with him categories and with one another categories. Think first of Jesus Christ and think about other brothers and sisters before you focus on yourself. we need to replace questions like, how does this suit me? Do I like this? Does it benefit me? What's in it for me? Does it convenience? me? actually those questions existed from the beginning of time in sinful man. Even the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, it's all about let us make a name for ourselves, let us build, let us do this and that. And you need to replace questions that are so natural to us that first and foremost look to our own interests with questions that are centered on the interests of others? How can I promote that brother's good? How can I serve that sister? How is going going to serve the interests of the church? What is it going to be best for the church? What is going to encourage the body, and how can I do so? And so Paul says, if you want to demonstrate in concrete everyday living within the body life of the church, in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Now, this runs so counter to our natural way of thinking because this is a thing of grace. This is only something that you come to put on when you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ because it is the Lord Jesus who sacrificed himself for the interests of his people, who considers his people's salvation even more in significant Than his own lives. So the Lord Jesus calls his people to love one another even to the point of laying down our lives. That's the kind of demonstration that Paul wants to see more and more within the body life of the church that cannot be produced and replicated in the rest of the world. Now this tells us something very important about true spirituality mysticism thinks that communion with God is something private and personal experience in a monkish setting. As God meets with you truly by his word and spirit, mysticism nonetheless tends to think that this is intensely personal and private matter. And if you are sitting here this uh, evening and the high point of spiritual joy for you is when you are left by yourself in your own personal devotional life, or if the decided preference for you spiritually is isolation rather than participation, then according to Paul's teaching, you have not yet attained to the model of New Testament spirituality. The New Testament spirituality is intensely corporate. Uh, My pastor friend in Mississippi with whom I pray every Saturday night when we were discussing the matter of what we are preaching and praying for one another last night, I made this observation. I said that to him, I'm going to use that observation. But he, as he's preaching through Acts, shared with me how struck by he has been in recent months of the constant uh, uh, recurrence of the Greek word that have the same meaning, homo thumos, or having the same passion, or doing something together. Just listen to these verses. These are the patterns that define the Church of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 1, 14. All these with one accord. They together were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and married the mother of Jesus and so forth. Acts chapter 2, verse 20, 46. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their, their homes, they received their food with glad and generous heart. Attending the temple together. Or Acts chapter 4, verse 24, when the believers looked to God to pray concerning the persecution they faced, we read that when the believers heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. Acts chapter 5, after the healing of the lame men, we read Acts chapter 5, verse 12, Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the peoples by the hand of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. One-mindedness that God is forming within us brothers and sisters are is something that is called to be exhibited in the context of body life. True spirituality is corporate. It's church-wide. It's in the context of one another. I make this a priority, therefore, believers. If there's a vacuum in your life of this togetherness, if there's a vacuum in your life of being together physically, in person, if there is a decided preference for you of drawing back and in isolation, then may the mind of Christ bring you into greater fellowship. May that mind of Christ, spiritual like-mindedness, be formed more and more in you, knowing that your Savior, the Lord Jesus, loves to be with his people. The Christian mind, Christ-like mind, is a mind that loves and is devoted to the people of God and to the fellowship of the body. And if you need examples, if you need living models of such mindset, Paul will go on to point out, verse 5, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look for, no further than Christ, and then later in chapter 2, look to what Timothy did. Chapter 2, verse 21, uh, they all looked to their own interests not those of Christ, but not Timothy. He faithfully served God's people. And as we look to those I- interests, Paul will later on, in chapter 3, even exhort God's people. We need to seek to demonstrate to one another. Seek to be that living model to other believers of spiritual mindedness, that one mindedness, that Christian mindset, that the Spirit is forming within you. Uh, chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says, brothers, joining." Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the examples you have in us. Well, may may, by God's grace all of us be the living models and examples of that mindset, the one-mindedness, the same-mindedness that God has been forming within his church from the beginning of time. May we look to Christ and may we seek to serve one another. May we seek to build up one another. Let's pray together.